Philippians chapter 1, let's start reading in verse number 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace." For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for this wonderful example from the Apostle Paul as he's praising and praying here and giving us such an example to follow. I pray you just speak to us now. And I pray for myself, Lord. Cleanse me of anything that would hinder my usefulness today. May I be a clean vessel, and I pray I'd be filled with your spirit and that uh, you'd just speak. I pray nobody even paying attention to me would even see me. They'd just hear from you today. And I pray I'd say what I should and nothing else. So guide us, direct us, help us to hear. I pray this message uh, speaks to hearts just as you would have it to. In Jesus' name, amen. Joy. Philippians is about joy. We talked about that the last time when we introduced the book of Philippians, our joy in Christ. Uh, matter of fact, we learned that it is, it is not only a key word in the letter, but probably the key word in the letter. It's one of the most prominent words. It's at least 15 times mentioned. Some form of the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing is seen in the four chapters of Philippians. And so here we are in chapter 1, just in the first few verses, and already we come upon the topic. The first occurrence of the word joy is right there in verse number 4. Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. Paul describes here that joy is a result of his praising God for the Philippians and of his praying for them. And so right off the bat, I think we have a principle. And that principle is this. We experience joy in Christ when we praise him and when we pray. Now, Paul's prayer here is an example. I mentioned that a moment ago in my prayer. It's an example of how we ought to pray. It's also a bit of a rebuke, isn't it, to how many of us oftentimes do pray. We usually pray for the physical concerns in our lives. We usually pray for our health or our wealth or our relationships or our pain or our troubles, physical troubles. And sometimes that's actually all we pray for. Sometimes we're like that crazy Bob in that ridiculous comedy, What About Bob? Remember that? Give me, give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need, I need. Sometimes that's the only way we can pray. During our Wednesday evening prayer meetings, which, by the way, I encourage everyone to come to our Wednesday evening prayer meetings. I guarantee you'll be blessed if you do. A couple of weeks ago, I came to prayer meeting, and I can tell you that I was in a real funk. I did not want to be here or anywhere else for that particular matter. Brother Dan was sharing that particular night, and his message was a great blessing to me, and God used it in my life. And and then the prayer time came about, and it was just wonderful. I left this place absolutely on shouting ground. That's what happens when you come to prayer meeting. And so I encourage you to do it. 
But I digress. During those times when we do have prayer meetings, oftentimes we try to say, let's not have any physical requests tonight. Let's just try and pray spiritual requests. I've even gone so far sometimes as to say, uh, we're starting out, here's the rule, you're not allowed to pray for your health, you're not allowed to pray for jobs, you're not allowed to pray for hangnails, anything like that. And you know what we get as a result? Almost always, crickets. People are silent. Why do we struggle so much with this? We really have trouble praying for spiritual faith. But Paul here gives us a wonderful example. He prayed first for spiritual things because he knew they were more important. Now, Paul did sometimes pray for physical needs. I mean, he had a thorn in the flesh, which he said he prayed and asked God for three different times. He did pray for spiritual things, but he always kept them secondary to the spiritual in his mind, and that's the opposite of the way most of us are. So let's look here a little bit at Paul praising and Paul praying, and I think we'll see how he found joy in those things. First of all, Paul praising is seen in verses 3 through 7. Paul praising God. He said in verse number 3, I thank God for you. I thank. All our prayers ought to include thanksgiving. We could just park right on that for a while. When we get to chapter 4, we're going to see the Apostle Paul exhorting the Philippians. Chapter 4, verse number 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul started with thanksgiving. I thank my God for you. Specifically thanking God for his Christian brothers and his Christian sisters in Philippi. Now, I think we mentioned a little bit last week about the timelines of this. It has been about 10 years since the Apostle Paul had seen them. And yet here he is still thanking God for these believers. And I find that interesting. I, I sometimes get discouraged in my own, my own walk with the Lord because I don't necessarily see what I think is God doing things now. You ever get like that? It just seems like nothing's happening now. But, you know, I, I think if we would look back, at what God has been doing for the last 10 years, then I think we'd be leaping around and prancing for joy. And maybe that's one of the secrets to Paul's continuous joy, is that he was able to look back, and he was able to look back through the, through the, the works of God in people's lives for years in the past and uh, rejoice in them. He gave thanks for these people that he had not even seen in 10 years. Thanksgiving is a sign of maturity in our Christian lives, isn't it? Children ask constantly for things. It's not until they grow older that they start to really start behaving in a thankful way. It's a sign of maturity. One of my favorite songs is The Cats in the Cradle by uh, Harry Chapin. And I love, I, I love the classic line from the teenage son who, when his dad wants to spend some time with him, the teenage son says, uh, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car key. See you later. Can I have them, please? And that's the way we are. Just give me asking for things from God rather than being thankful. And so I ask today, do you thank God for the other believers he has placed in your life? Do you ever pull up our wonderful church directory and look at all the names and faces in there? And by the way, if your picture's not in there, we're coming after you. We need your picture in there. But do you ever thank God for the believers he's placed in your life? Do you spend time turning over those names and faces that he has brought into your life over the past 10 years and say, thank God for that 
person, all they've meant to you, all they've been for you. And it's not just this church. This past week, we, we uh, said goodbye to Jamie Whiteley. And at the funeral there, at Jamie's, Jamie's funeral, I had people walk up to me that I hadn't seen in decades. It's sad to me that I can say decades about my life, but I can't. And there was people who walked up to me that I had not seen in ages. It was like a reunion in some ways. And I was thankful for them. Paul said every time he prayed for these, every time he praised God for them, it brought him joy. Verse number 4. He said, I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. Verse 5. Your partnership in the gospel. Now, I know in our New King James Bible, or if you're holding a King James Bible, it says fellowship. And that's okay. That's a good translation, too. Other translations, some of the modern ones translated as partnership. And either word is accurate. The actual Greek word is koinonia, which means a fellowship, a sharing in, a partnership in something, a communion in. But in our world, in our culture, the word fellowship has become watered down, hasn't it? We tend to think of things like our campfire fellowships. We tend to think of things like eating and barbecues and grilling burgers and playing cornhole and fishing and hanging out and yakking around a fire. All that's good. All that's wonderful. But the word here means a lot more than that. That's not what Paul was thanking God for. It means sharing. It means a partnership in. It means something common to each. Paul was thankful for their partnering with him, he said, in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippian Christians shared in his ministry. They partnered with him. They supported him materially. They sent money to him. They supported him emotionally when few others did. Flip over to the last chapter in the book, to chapter 4. And look what he said in verses 15 and 16. Chapter 4, verse 15, he said, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning and giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. They sent Epaphroditus to him. And as a matter of fact, Epaphroditus is the one who we believe carried their gift to him here uh, and uh, uh, ministered to him here. Paul called him my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. And so in every way that we could think of, every way that would matter, this church had stood with Paul. Not just in word or prayer, but in deed and in action. They gave, they stayed in touch with him, and when they could, they actually went and ministered alongside of him. And he was thankful for that. Recently, I've, I think maybe I've experienced just a tiny bit of what Paul felt. Vacation Bible School just kind of concluded here a few weeks ago. It's come, it's gone. This place was an absolute beehive of activity for about three weeks. The week leading up to it, the the week of the event, and the week afterward. And I can tell you, it's impossible to watch people come into this place day after day, laboring to set up their rooms and decorations and sets and and all the things that were done. It's impossible to look at that uh, and not rejoice and not be thankful. These people are working together. They're laboring together. They're partnering together for the advancement of the gospel. Today, we're kicking off our annual Operation Christmas Child effort. It's a huge effort. Huge. And it has a very simple and common goal, getting the gospel to children and to families everywhere. It's not about Christmas. 
It's about the gospel. It's not about physical boxes of toys. It's about the gospel. It's about winning the souls of men and women and boys and girls all over the world. So many working so hard for a common goal, partnering together in the gospel. And so last year over a thousand boxes went out into the world filled with the gospel of hope. Paul said, I'm thankful for your partnership. Paul said, I'm thankful for what God is doing in you. Look at verse number 6. Look at verse number 6. This, by the way, is one of the most important verses in the New Testament. Verse number 6. Maverick, let's read it together. Read verse 6 with me. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You ought to have that verse underlined in your Bible, brothers and sisters. If you don't, I encourage you to do it right now. There's a pen in front of you in the seat somewhere. You ought to underline that. That is one of the best verses in the Bible about eternal security. That is one of the best verses in the Bible about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The truth that once you are saved, you are forever saved and can never be lost. It is a glorious, towering, wonderful, encouraging verse. Think about it again. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said, God started a work in you. Our salvation is not in any way our own doing. It's rather entirely a work of God. God started it. Jesus paid it all. All to him. I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He started it. And Paul wrote, he will finish it. He will complete it. God will keep working in you right up until the day of Christ, he said. The rapture. Right up until that day, he's going to keep working in you. That same wonderful truth, that same glorious promise, the perseverance of the saints, the eternal security of the believer. Once you are saved, you can never be lost. It's seen throughout the Bible. I've shared these verses before. Let me share them again. John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Romans chapter 8, verse number 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Just like the psalmist who sang, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me in Psalm 138. Paul was confident of this truth. Confident that what God had started in them, he would complete in them. And he was thankful for that. In his letter to the Corinthians, he would put it like this. He said, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul said, I'm thankful for what God is doing in you, that he started it, that he will complete it, and that he will keep working in you right up until the day Jesus comes to get you. Paul was thankful. 
Every time he thought about his brothers and sisters, he was thankful. He was thankful for their partnership in the gospel down through the years. Right up to the time he put pen to paper, he was thankful for the amazing work of grace that God had done in saving them, was doing in completing them, and would do until he called them home. Paul praising. Let's notice number two, Paul praying. This is verses 8 through 11. Paul praying. I pray for you is what he said to them in verses 3 and 4. And here he tells them what it is he's praying for them about, just exactly what he's praying. And here's what it is. More love, more knowledge, more discernment, more fruit. Those four things. More love, more knowledge, more discernment, more fruit. More love, verse number 9. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more. More love. Let there be lots of it is what he is praying. May there be more and more of it. May there never be an end of it. You know, we need to think about this. There is never a time that we're supposed to stop loving one another. There is never a time that we're supposed to stop loving God. There is no stopping point. We've never loved enough that we can sit down and say, I don't need to do that anymore. Whether we're talking about loving God or loving each other. Either way, the more and more in verse number 9 ought to be underlined in our Bibles. Because we're never done. It ought to be burned into our minds and hearts. Because we're never done. I pray you would love more and more. Love God more. That's one thing he was talking about there. Love God more. Fernando Ortega recently popularized the very old hymn, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. More love to thee. I pray that you would love each other more. Paul prayed. That's another part of this. Not just loving God, but loving each other. The same prayer he had prayed for the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and 4, he said, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. He said, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. More and more love. Never-ending love. God never stops loving us. He loved us and loves us with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31 says. And so Paul said, let us love him more and more. No matter what he might allow into our lives that might confuse us or test us or try us, love him more and more. Let us love each other more and more. We might disappoint each other. We might hurt one another. We might discourage one another. But still, may we love more and more until Jesus comes. That was his first prayer, more love. He prayed also for more knowledge. May this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. Paul always exhorted his readers to grow in their knowledge of God. Peter did the same. Peter, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8. He said, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. That's why you need to read your Bibles, Christians. That's why I harp on reading your Bibles so often. It's why I say you ought to carry your Bibles to church. You ought to follow along in your Bibles. You need to read your Bibles. Not just on Sunday mornings when you dust them off of the shelf and 
blow the dust off and carry it with you in here. Not just once in a while. Not, not just when you're preparing a Sunday school lesson or a junior church lesson teachers. Every day, read it systematically. Read it continuously. Read it all the time. Read it like the love letter that it is from our Savior. Read it like it is the source of everything God wants you to know. It is. Read it like it is your roadmap for every journey, your guidebook for every task, your instruction manual for life, as I heard Sister Sandy refer to it this past week. We cannot rightly love God and love others without knowledge, without knowing what God has to say in his word. So he prayed more love, more knowledge. He prayed for more discernment. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. By discernment, he meant spiritual perceptiveness, spiritual insight, spiritual sight, hearing, feeling, taste, basically that our senses would be spiritually in tune with him. How in the world are you supposed to know what is true in this world that is filled with thousands of voices all claiming to be true? How are you supposed to know? How are you to determine right from wrong? Wise from foolish, good from evil, excellent from mediocre. How? So many voices crying out for hearing. And so Paul prays for them to have spiritual discernment, spiritual insight. He prayed for it for them. We ought to pray for it as well. Solomon prayed for that in his very famous prayer. He said, therefore, give to your servants an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and and evil. Discernment is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We need the Holy Spirit within us to have it. And it becomes more and more apparent as we grow in our faith. Hebrews chapter 5, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their, ex- their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And it increases when knowledge increases. I think the order in which Paul put these is important. Knowledge, then discernment. The more you read your Bible, the more you internalize what is therein, the more your discernment So Paul prayed that their love would increase, that their knowledge would increase, that their discernment would increase, so that they would be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, verse 10. Now I notice, I know that in your King James, New King James Bible, it doesn't include the word so there, but other translations included, and it does seem to make sense. Paul's prayer for increased love and knowledge and discernment was so that they would be able to distinguish the excellent from the not excellent, so that they would live sincere and holy lives before God. So that you may be sincere, so that you might have a right relationship, a non-hypocritical relationship with God, so that you may be without offense, having a right relationship, helpful rather than harmful with other believers. Paul's desire for the Philippians was the same desire we ought to have for ourselves to be morally pure before God and to live in such a way to never cause others to stumble. More love, more knowledge, more discernment. Finally, his fourth prayer, more fruit. Verse number 11, being filled 
with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. He prayed for their fruitfulness. He prayed that the fruit of righteousness would be seen in them. He may have been thinking about the fruit of the Spirit that's talked about in Galatians chapter 5. It's possible. I'm not so sure that's what he was talking about here. I think perhaps more likely he was talking about the fruit, uh, the external fruit of good works, kind deeds, uh, things that would bring glory and praise to God. More love, more knowledge, more discernment, more fruit. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. Paul praised God for them. Paul prayed for them. And he got joy out of doing so. He praised God for his brothers and sisters in Christ, for their partnership with him in the gospel, for what God had done and was doing in their lives. He prayed for their love and knowledge and discernment to abound, to grow, to increase more and more so that they would live right before God and live right before others. As I pondered these things this past week, I came to a conclusion in my life. It dawned on me, that the times in my life when I have been uh, least joyful were the times when I was most neglecting these very things. When I neglected to be thankful for those God has brought into my life. When I've only thought on their weaknesses rather than their partnership. When I've allowed Satan to blind me to the blessings of others in my life. When I've focused on their failings rather than their fellowship. Those attitudes have been joyless in my life. When I have allowed my vision to become short. When I have become so overwhelmed by the troubles of life in the here and now that I've forgotten what God started in me when he saved me. And that he will continue it until he calls me home. When I get all thumbsucky with the temporal and forget the eternal, let the devil pull my eyes away from it. That's joyless. It's joyless. When I have neglected the word, not doing my part to try to increase my knowledge and discernment, there is no joy in such neglect. What about you? How's your joy? I think we asked that last week too. We'll probably ask it most weeks in this study in Philippians. How's your joy? You see, if it's not what it ought to be, I think we ought to do as Paul did. Get on your knees before God and just start praising him for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just start praising him for your partners in the gospel. And start praying for them, more love for them, more knowledge and discernment for them. You ought to pray those same things for yourself. But that's not what Paul did here. He prayed for them. And I think that's what we ought to do, too. I'm willing to bet. But if we'll spend some time doing that, we'll find our joy. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. I pray you'd speak to our hearts as we think about these things. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody here today for whom this is particularly applicable in any way, I pray they'd respond. Lord, I pray that you'd give us right now uh, a heart that is open to what you're trying to do. And uh, help us, Father. I pray if there are those here today who don't know you as Savior, They'll think about the fact 
that God wants to start a good work in them. God wants to uh, save their soul. And so I pray they'd, they'd take that step of, of, uh, of salvation today, of trusting in Christ. And if there are believers here today who are struggling in this matter of joy, uh, maybe, they, maybe they're, they're going through some of these things we've talked about. Help them today, I pray, to respond in a way that restores their joy. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name.